destiny begins with worship. Your destiny begins with worship. You know, we were created to worship God. And um, a few weeks ago, I think it was maybe a couple, just a couple weeks ago, we had our worship night on Wednesday night. It was really powerful. And you should come every Wednesday knowing that every Wednesday is worship night. And it may not be worshiping. It may not be worship songs the whole night, but the whole night is worship. Because you know that and you know that when we when we study the word of God, we're worshiping Jesus. Do you know that when we um, sing, we're worshiping Jesus? Do you know that when we give, we're worshiping Jesus? Do you know that when we share our faith with somebody else, we're worshiping Jesus? Because it, it worship is all about putting the spotlight on him, not on ourselves. So anything that puts the spotlight on Jesus is worship. So, do you know, you could sing, but not really be worship. You could sing all the words, but not really be worshiping because you're still thinking about yourself while you're singing. You're thinking about, oh, what did I do wrong? And what am I, you know, and 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 um, what do I need to do to get right with God? You don't have to do anything to get right with God. God made you right with him because you couldn't do it on your own. He gives us the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness and the more you get a hold of how the Christian life is not about the promises we make to God. Oh, I promise you, God, I'm going to read the Bible more. I promise you, God, I'm going to pray more. How has that worked for you? How many how many would agree every time you make a promise to God to do more for him, you end up doing less for him because it's too hard to labor under the promises we make to God. God did not design us to make promises to him. He designed us to live by the promises that he makes to us. It doesn't mean we shouldn't live godly. It doesn't mean we shouldn't live um, victorious, conquering lives. Um, but we need to live those. We need to live that life. That life flows from the promises of God. I, I, I'm going to try to find the scripture for it. I wasn't planning to talk about this, but if you can look at Second Peter, Second um, Peter, chapter one, let's let's look there. I'm just you know, taking a stab at this verse. But he says, Simon Peter, second Peter, chapter two, verse one. Um, in fact, let's go to second Peter, chapter one, verse one. And I want you to see what he says here. Second Peter, chapter one, verse one. He says to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. So you can't get more grace and you can't get more peace working in your life through any other thing other than the knowledge of God. It's not by doing more. You don't get more grace and peace by making more promises to God. You don't get more grace and peace by doing more for God. You get grace and peace multiplied to you by having more awareness of who God is and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep going. Verse three, he says, as his divine power has given to us all things. Now, just right there, that phrase, the power, his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. Notice what he says here. According to his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Does this sound like something we give him or sound like something he gives us? Does this sound like something we can earn or does this sound like something that we receive? Come on, talk to me now. And he says he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then if you go to verse four, by which we by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. So what has been given to us exceedingly great and precious? What? Promises. He's not talking about commands here. He's talking about promises. He has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these through through these what promises. through these promises. Through these, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, notice what he's saying. He's saying 
God has given us these exceedingly great and precious promises. And it's through these promises in the Bible. Approximately 7000 promises are in this Bible. And through these promises, we become partakers of the divine nature or the word partake to partake of is to um, to engage with, to to partake of means to to eat the fruit of, to enjoy it. We get to partake. We get to enjoy the divine nature. And he says, and what enables us to enjoy this divine nature are the magnificent, exceedingly great and precious promises. Through these, we live in our new nature through these promises. We live in God's new nature that he's put inside of us through the promises of God. We escape the corruption. We escape corruption. We we are no longer corrupted by this world. We're no longer corrupted by our sins. We're no longer corrupted by our mistakes. We're no longer corrupted by our pain. We're no longer corrupted by what somebody did to us. We're no longer corrupted by what we've witnessed in our lives. Look, if you look at what I've looked at in life and seen what I've seen and been through what I've been through, then, you know, if you've lived a little bit, you know that life is life will come at you. Life will hit you. Life will hurt you. People will betray you. People will lie to you. People will. They don't care about what happens to you necessarily. They people care for the most part about themselves. Have you noticed we live in a self-centered world? And I'm not trying to be pessimistic here, but for the most part, that's the truth. And he says, but we escape that corruption, whatever was done to you that was designed by hell to corrupt you. Whatever was done to you that was designed by hell to turn you into something other than what God intended you to be is diverted. It's it's or it's um, it's it. That assignment from hell is thwarted through the promises of God. So our focus should not be on trying to escape the world. We don't need to try to escape the world to be holy. We don't need to try to escape people to be holy. We don't need to try to escape anything. What we need to do is we need to remember and meditate and learn the promises of God that through these we become partakers of who God said we are and we escape the corruption that this world meant to send our way to defeat us and to destroy us. So how do we so this is how this is what this is how we fight spiritual spiritually speaking. This is our spiritual warfare is it's understanding the great and precious promises of God. And through these we partake of through these we begin to enjoy and experience who God made us to be. And we escape the corruption that was that was the insidious, demonic corruption that hell sent against you. Do you know everything that happened in your life? Bad. Everything bad that's ever happened in your life was designed by the the enemy, sent by the enemy, sent by the devil to corrupt you, to make you less than what God intended you to be. And that's why God sent Jesus to turn all that around. And that's why he gave us his word. And that's why he gave us his promises. And we don't have to, again, live by the promises we make. We're going to man, we're going to just wear out if we keep trying to make promises to God that we don't end up keeping. And even if you were to keep all the promises to God that you make, what good does that do? It makes you self-righteous. It makes you think you're better than somebody else. I'm not saying that you I'm not saying that we shouldn't do good in life. It's that we should do good as an overflow of what God is doing in us. Not do good because we keep promising God to be better and our promises don't make us better. You know, you, when you make a promise to somebody, it doesn't make you better than you were. You, you won't if you make a promise to somebody it's because of who you already are and you keeping it or you not keeping it is because of who you already are, not because you made the promise, but it's because of who you already are. And when God makes a promise to us, he keeps it because of who he already is. 
He doesn't keep his promise because of who you are. He keeps his promise because of who he is. Do you understand what I'm saying there? I know it's a little diversion from where we were going, but look at Romans chapter three, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse three in the Message Bible, Romans chapter 12, verse three in the Message Bible, because our destiny, everybody has a destiny and our destiny starts with worshiping God. It doesn't start with making promises to God. It starts with worshiping and thanking the God who has made all these promises to us. He says, I'm speaking to you out of a deep gratitude for all that God has given me. Folks, this is how now this is Paul, the apostle talking, but this is how all of us should talk. This is how all of us should live. We should speak to people out of gratitude for what God has given us. Our relationships, our communication with each other should be the overflow of our gratitude for what God has given us. You want to have a good relationship with somebody? Start by being thankful for what God has given you. Because if I can get this across to you, all failure in relationships comes from a false expectation of 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 other people. It comes from a it comes from a disappointment of other people. You're disappointed when somebody doesn't do for you what you think would make you happy. Does this make any sense to anybody? Have you ever been disappointed when somebody didn't do something for you that you thought they should or you thought they could or you thought that you deserved? That's what that's where we that's where we misunderstand how to relate to people. That's where we remember when I told you about. um, Remember when I compared relationships to chairs? Does anybody remember that? To table. Thanks. (laughs) Good point. I don't even remember what I you know, (laughs) the example that I shared. Thank you for that. Whoever yelled that out. I compared relationships to a table and a table is designed any table. This table here we call a podium. It's designed to hold up you know, some books and a microphone and some pages. It, it, it's OK. It works perfectly when you put on it what it was designed to, to, to carry and hold. But if I stand on this, I guarantee you, um, you somebody's going to be calling an ambulance. Somebody's going to be walking out of here hurt. This thing's going to be broken. This thing is not designed to carry the weight of my body on top of it. Because so but so what what happens when I when I try to put my entire weight on this, the stress that that creates causes damage to the thing that wasn't designed to hold me up. And so what I was trying to say is relationships are not designed to make you happy. And when you expect that person to make you happy, what ends up happening is you're putting stress upon that relationship and it wasn't designed to carry that much weight. So it's going to break. And all I'm trying to tell you is, see, this is why, you know, the greatest thing we should be doing in our lives is what we were created to do. And you were created to worship God. You might not have been created to be a great singer, but I can guarantee you, you were created to worship God. Every one of us, I was created to worship God. My highest calling in life is not to be a preacher. It's not to be a pastor. It's not even to be a husband or a father. One day, a grandfather, one day, a great grandfather, one day in the suite by and by. Right. (laughs) My greatest destiny, my greatest purpose is to be a worshiper. Because you know what? When we get to heaven, there is no parenting in heaven. There's no grandparenting in heaven. There's no preaching in heaven. You think we're going to get up to heaven and Billy Graham's going to be up there preaching to us? 
My God, Jesus is going to be up there. Billy Graham's going to be on his face worshiping Jesus. So am I. So is every preacher. We're going to be worshiping Jesus. That's what we're going to do when we get to heaven. You know why? It's not because we're going to be so glad we're there. It's going to be that we are going to be glad we're there. Believe me, the alternative is really not a good one. I used to tell people all the time before I was saved. One of my favorite things to tell people was go to hell. I can't remember. I cannot count how many people I told go to hell. And remember, that was what we would say to people. Go to hell. Go to hell. What? Go to hell. Am I? I mean, am I saying something that people don't Right? It's true, isn't it? I'm not making you all have said that. Some of you have said that to me. I forgive you. But I think that's God's sense of humor. You know, I told so many people to go to hell that God said, you know what? I'm going to turn your life around and I'm going to show you how to tell people to go to heaven. I think that's God's sense of humor. Go to hell. Go to hell. Hell is not a good place. But the but when we get to heaven, it's not going to be so great that we're we're, it's going to be so great, but it's not going to be because Wow, I'm so glad to be in heaven. It's going to be because what's going to cause you to worship God is because you're going to see him the way he really is. You're not there's not going to be any filters. There's not going to be any preachers that that misdescribe him or fail to describe him accurately. I think the worst thing that we can do in life as preachers is misrepresent what God is like. I don't think the worst thing we can do is sin because <laughs> we all have sinned and fallen short. Come on now, help me. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The worst thing that we can do as pastors and preachers is not the worst thing. The worst thing that, that, that I could do is not you catch me in the back of the church smoking weed. That's not the worst thing in the world. Now, I'm not I haven't done that in a while. I just want you to know. But but if you caught me in the back, did you see the pastor? Man, he got out of his car and he was smoking that doobie. I can't believe this is I'm getting out of here. I'm not saying that that's a good thing to do. I'm not. It's not healthy for you. It's against the law. It's a bad example. Blah, blah, blah. All those reasons. But the worst thing that I could ever do in front of you or for you or to you is to tell you about a different Jesus other than the Jesus of the Bible and to inaccurately describe his love to to fall short in my description of how much God loves you to fall short in my description of how good God is. That would be a worse sin than you finding me. Please don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> if you found me in a strip club and I'm using this, these, <laughs> they got one person walking out. Uh, you find me if you found me in a strip club. That's not the worst thing that now the reason I'm using those illustrations is because I don't go there normally. I remember somebody came up to me first. I think the first year of the church, uh, somebody came up to me and said, I saw so and so they come to this church. I saw him in a strip club. I'm like, what are you doing there? How did you see them there? Like what? (laughs) How did you know? So if you see me there, you know, the real issue is you need to be, you know, you might have a finger pointed at me, but there's three more pointed back at you. But I use these examples. No, because I don't I, I don't do that stuff. I don't I'm not interested in that. But if that was the case, I think we need to remember what, what the real sin is in the church is miscommunicating what God is really like, because if your Christianity rises or falls based on my character, then I've failed you. Not because of my character, 
but because I failed to teach you about the Jesus who's bigger than my mistakes. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to give myself a pass. All right. I know it sounds like, well, what are you trying? Whatever. Think what you want. I'm trying to point you to Jesus. Because I just I, I look at, you know, I look at the I look at stuff that goes on and I think about it a lot and I pray about it. And I, I'm like, God, I don't want to I want to I want to look at this correctly. I want to look at things properly. I want to look at things. You're the way you look at them. You know, man looks on the outside. First Samuel, chapter 16, verse seven. Man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart, the Bible says. So we don't look at the things that God looks at. We look at what everybody does on the outside and we judge people based on how they look and what their actions and what they do and what they say. But God doesn't judge people that way. God looks at the heart. And we learned on Sunday, God looks at the heart not to see what's wrong in your heart, but he looks at the heart to see if you've planted any word seeds in there so that he can make them grow. Because we plant and we water, but God gives the growth. God gives the increase. God's looking at your heart to see what you've planted inside of your heart so he can blow on that, breathe on that and make it increase. Look, Deuteronomy one, verse 27, look at what he says. So the children of Israel were trying to get to the promised land and they couldn't get there um, because of what they believed. And in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 27, Moses is talking to the people and this is what he says. He says, and you complain. So Moses is telling the children of Israel, here's why you didn't make it to the promised land. Because you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. What I'm and what I'm trying to illustrate in this verse, this has become one of my favorite verses over the years, because what it indicates is even after God had parted the Red Sea through Moses, even after all the plagues hit Egypt, and even after the children of Israel escaped Egypt and went into the wilderness, but they didn't make it into the promised land, even though God had done all those great things for them, they 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 complained in their tents. Like if you if if I witnessed one of those, if you witnessed one of those miracles, it would change your life forever. If you walked, if you were being chased by a military army such as the world has never known, the, the Egyptian army was a military army that the world had never known before. It was the equivalent in that, wor- in that time of the world of what our military is in this country and even more powerful. It was the most powerful force compared to all the other. They could destroy and defeat any military challenge that existed in the world. They were that powerful. And they're chasing two million Jewish people as they're fleeing Egypt because God told them to leave Egypt. And what happens? They come to the edge of the of the land of Egypt and all that's in front of them is the Red Sea. And they look back and the Egyptian army is chasing them and going to bring them back into slavery, bring them back into bondage. And they're like, Moses, what, what, how did you, why did you bring us out here to die, to be drowned, to be killed and taken back captive? At least when we were slaves back then, we had some good meals and we had jobs and we had tents to live in. And God said, tell them to shut up and tell them, stand and see the salvation of God. And Moses threw down his staff and the Red Sea split in half and a path of dry land was created in the middle of of what it would what would be considered almost like an ocean today. And they marched through it to the other side. And then when the Egyptian army came to chase them, they're like, "Okay, they started walk, you know, marching through that red, through that uh, Red Sea path that, that Moses and God had opened up. And what happened? The sea fell on top of the Egyptian army and drowned every one of them. 
Like imagine being one of those people that were that looked back and saw all of your enemies drowned, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Anybody remember that old that old song? <laughs> now we know how old you are, especially you, Joe. <laughs> I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Oh, yeah. So you guys are we have a young church, man. We are. Nobody knows songs like that anymore. We should learn that one by Sunday. You know, that would be we would ha- you know what that would do? That would launch a really great membership drive. It would drive every member out. <laughs> but um, so what are we saying here? I'm saying if you would have seen that kind of miracle, you would have just been blown away. You'd ne- you'd be ruined the rest of your life. You would never Stop thanking God. But when you have a hardened heart, God could do anything in your life and you still will remain arrogant and proud and hold your heart back from God. And that's why we need a soft heart. And that's why we need to realize what we were created for. We were created to worship God, which, by the way, helps keep your heart soft, is worshiping Jesus, is worshiping God. Um, as you as you keep your heart soft, as you keep your heart humble and thankful, that's when miracles happen and they continue to happen. But but they complained in their tents. They saw all these miracles and yet they still complained in their tents. And look at what their complaint was. God hates us. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. God's not for me. Don't you see why God has given us all these promises in the New Testament about how much he loves us and how much he cares so that we can combat these lies that the devil tries to speak to us about God doesn't love you. God's not for you. God's not looking out for you. God doesn't really care about you. You're insignificant to him. All those things are a lie. And that's why we have the promises of God to come against the lies. Right. And and also we have the promises of God to lead us out of a corrupt lifestyle. Just me promising God, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to live holy. I'm never going to make a mistake again. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I promise all these things that doesn't make you holy. It makes it it makes you it makes you condemned because when you fall short of all those promises, then you feel like ashamed and you feel like guilty and beat you start beating yourself up. And then what's the use? You know, why not just go ahead and just keep sinning since I can't I can't live this way anyway. Well, stop living by the promises that you make to God and start living by the promises he makes to you and start grasping the character and nature of God, which is the number one problem in the world today. A wrong concept of God. I know I've told you that a thousand times, but I'm going to keep telling you that that's the number one problem in the world today. A wrong concept of God, because if you have the right concept of God, you would never steal because if you what do I mean by that? If you knew that my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory, if you knew how generous God was, you would never need to steal because you would trust him to provide and supply for all your needs. That's just one example of how understanding God's nature will alter the way you live. So back to Romans 12, three in the message Bible, he says, so I, I speak to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me. I speak to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me. If we could live our lives from a place of deep gratitude. This is what we were created to do. This is what we were created, how we were created to live. Any other way of living is poisonous. It's poisonous. Bitterness is poison. Unforgiveness is poison. Unthankfulness is poison. But thanksgiving and worship and praise is the antidote. It's the antidote for the bitterness of life. It's the antidote for the trials of life. It's the antidote for the pain of life. It's the antidote. This is the antidote. This is the cure. Gratitude, thankfulness, 
looking back on what God has done for you. I don't care if he's just done one thing. One miracle is enough. One healing is enough. One sin that you know God forgave you of is enough to thank God forever and ever and ever. And he says, look, he says, I'm speaking to you from a deep gratitude out of all that God has given me. And especially as I have responsibility in relation to you, living then as each of you does, as, as every one of you does in pure grace. This is this is how we live in pure grace. He, he, we can't live in a mixed Christianity like it's like part of it is up to God for us, for our salvation. Part of it's up to God and part of it's up to us. No, that's not pure grace. That's mixed. OK, well, God will keep his promise if you keep yours. No, that's not pure grace. That's mixed. But what I'm trying to tell you is if you would get a hold of this pure grace that God will keep his promise no matter what, it won't lead you to a unholy lifestyle. It will actually lead you to a more obedient lifestyle because disobedience to God is not Christians that are disobedient to God. It's not because their hearts are so evil. It's because they're trying to get something in life some other way than God's way. I just want you to understand this is why so many people run from Christianity because it's been it's been misunderstood. It's not pure grace. And we need to preach about a pure Jesus and pure grace and his pure blood and his pure love. And he says, living then as each of you does in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret. So this is what Paul is after. Don't misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. If you keep going in that verse, don't misinterpret yourselves as people that are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. If you look at your life right now, you might have a lot of problems. But if you really are honest with yourself, you will find the goodness of God throughout your life. You'll find the goodness of God. It's like a it's like a movie moving in slow motion. If you slow down the movie, you'll see the goodness of God in every scene. Right now, you might be going through a scene in your in the movie of your life that's really bad. You might be going through a scene. But look, every movie, movies that are great, they have dramatic moments. They have tragic moments. They have disappointment. There's heartbreak. There's bad stuff that happens in good movies. But there's a tapestry through the movie uh, and there's a story through the movie if it's well written. And in the end, a good author has a has a good ending. And God is Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And there is a good ending for you, no matter what it's been like, no matter how many valleys you've been through. It's going to get better. It's going to get better if you if you will not. What's the condition? What's the condition to things getting better? Don't misinterpret that somehow it's us bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. He says the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. You know, (laughs) I've said to the Lord several times, I said, Lord, you know what? I think I'm going to quit. I think because he, you know, I mean, technically, God is my boss. Everybody has a boss besides my children being my boss most of the day. You got to do this. You got to sign this. You, I need this. You got to do that. You gotta just, man, they are tough on me. Um, but in a loving way, you know. Um, but God is really my boss. And, and I've said, God, you know, you're my boss and I get it. You know, I'm you know, I'm doing your work. But you know what? I'm 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 getting tired of it. And I don't like most of the people and 
Some of them don't like me. And, you know, we don't get we don't get elected to be pastors, but people vote every time with their feet. You know, you either walk in or you walk out. That's how people vote. But I said, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm going to quit. I think this is it. It's probably my last Sunday. <laughs> and you know what? God spoke to me. He said, go for it. Because my I'm not basing my plan in this world on you preaching for me. My plan will be fulfilled best when you worship me. And if you have to quit so you can see that. The real. Destiny of your life is worshiping me, then that's then then, then that's what you need to do, son. And that's how God talks to me, you know, in pictures and thoughts and ideas and concepts like that. And I'll tell you what, it's like he doesn't need me to work for him is what I'm trying to say. As if he says, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. And when you get a hold of what God is and what he does for you, it'll drop you to your knees. Now, you think about it, go through it. I wrote a bunch of these down, but if you go through if you go, I don't even know if I have them. If you go through the scriptures and I, I know we haven't received our offering tonight, but we're going to at the end instead. But if you go through the scriptures, whenever people got a glimpse of the real Jesus and what he did for them, look at this. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he's done for and what he does for us. So. The, the, the Magi come to Jesus in the manger and as soon as they see him, what do they do? They fall to their knees and what do they do? They worship him. And what do they do? They give him their gold, frankincense and myrrh. They didn't bring those gifts to worship Jesus with. Those were what they worked with. These were astrologers. These were astronomers. These were people that studied the stars. These guys, that was their profession. They carried gold and frankincense and myrrh as a part of the tools of their trade. So when they saw Jesus, they were so blown away by how awesome he was. And this was just baby Jesus. This is just this is Talladega Nights Jesus, if anybody saw it. This is <laughs> when they saw his glorious face, they fell, they worshiped, and they gave. When Peter was in the boat fishing before he was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus saw him and he said, I'm going to get in your boat, Peter, and let's go all the way into the deep water. And they go into the deep water and Jesus says, put down your net for a catch. Look at this. Luke chapter five. He says, I think, verse seven, let down your nets for a catch. And Peter said, Master, we've we've fished all night and caught nothing. And, you know, Peter was from somewhere in England. He was very, you know, British master. We've caught nothing. All we've fished all night and caught nothing. Right. We know that. Just kidding. England didn't exist at the time. People we put I'm just stalling for that verse. Uh, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word. I will let down the net. Verse six. Look at what he says. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net began to break and they had to call for their partners. Verse seven. Look at what he says. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. Jesus gave them such a great catch of fish. The boat began to sink. 
They, they didn't catch anything all night. And as soon as they did what Jesus said, one thing Jesus said. Now, I want you to realize this. If we would just take one promise from God. We're going fishing, boy, and you're going to catch one promise. My by my stripes, you're healed. One promise. I'll meet all your needs according to my riches and glory. One promise. Ask of me and I'll give you the nation. One promise from God. Ask anything in my name and I'll do it for you. One promise from God. If you lack wisdom, ask of God and you'll give to all men generously. These are just I just quoted to you several promises in the Bible that God has given us. And just one promise will will sink your boat with so much goodness and so much blessing and more than you. You could work all night as a profession and catch nothing. But if you believe one promise from God, your boat will be filled. Your boat will begin to sink and you will experience. And look at what happens. They they began to sink. Verse eight. And it says, and when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw what? When he saw all these fish, this guy's a fisherman. This is what he does for a living. He's caught nothing all night. Jesus tells him one thing to do. He does it just like when they said when he said pour water into the water pots and the water turned into wine. It it blew these people away. They if you just do one thing, he says. If you just believe one thing, God says. And what I'm listen, you say, well, is this doing or is this believing? This is believing. Peter didn't even know whether he just believed that Jesus was smarter than him. I think it just starts there. It starts and ends there. If you and I and if you guys watch, if we would all just just live this life with this one fact, Jesus is smarter than you. Then you know what? Believe what he says, because that will persuade you to do what he says. Right believing produces right doing. So he puts down and then he falls to his knees. He falls. He falls down at Jesus knees and says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. In other words, man, you've been so good. I don't deserve it. Jesus didn't say, you're right. You don't deserve it. Give me back my fish. Look at what Jesus says in verse nine. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And then verse 10, Jesus said, um, and they were sons of Zebedee, Zebedee, James, John and partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Peter, don't don't be afraid. I'm not focused on you being a sinful man. From now on, you're going to step into your destiny. You're going to catch men. You're going to be fishers of men. Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men. You know what? You know who preached the first message of the gospel after Jesus rose from the dead? This guy, Simon Peter. And what caused him to be a soul winner? Three thousand people got saved that day. Not this day, but the day that he preached after Jesus rose from the dead. Three thousand people got saved. What happened? God made him a fisher of men, a catcher of men instead of catcher of fish. And what caused him to fulfill that destiny? Humility, thankfulness, being in awe of the goodness of Jesus. How about 10 lepers? That's five, but 10 lepers (laughs) trying to count right here. 10 lepers were cleansed. Not some of you like what was wrong with the leopards, not leopards. This wasn't a zoo miracle. Lepers, people with leprosy, 10 lepers were cleansed because not everybody understands. Not everybody's read the Bible, believe it or not. Um, 10 lepers were cleansed. And look at what it says in Luke 17, verse 15. But one of them that was cleansed when he saw that he was healed. Returned. Man, this is my heart for you. This is my message to you. When you see that you've been cleansed, when you see 
what God has done for you. Return. 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 Why are we far from God? I don't mean that we're all far from God right now, but why do we grow distant from God in our heart is because of what we're seeing. It's because of what we're looking at. We're not looking at what Jesus has done for us. We're not focused on what he has done. When he saw that he was healed, he returned. He returned. If you look at your life and all that you've done, if I look at my life and all that I've done, I can only say, wow, God was good to me, even though I didn't deserve it. Look at it. it, This is what makes God's goodness so good is when you look at your badness and yet God is still good. You look at what you've done and God's still good. It's not you were so good. So God was so good to you. God is not good to you because you're good. God is good to you because he's good. And and he's good. He's good to us in spite of us. And he returned this guy. This guy's awesome. He gets healed. Ten of them get cleansed from leprosy. But one of them, when he saw that he was healed, all of them were healed. But one of them saw he was healed. One of them was focused on what Jesus had done for him. One of them was looking at what Jesus had done. We got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We got to keep looking at what he's done for us. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, the G- David said, and forget none of his benefits. He pardons all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. When you look at, focus on, meditate on, think on all that Jesus has done for you, it will make you thankful. It will make you return. It will make you glad. It will make you fall to your knees and with a loud voice. You know, sometimes we're sometimes we're like soft. We come to worship and we're like, hallelujah. God is good. And, you know, this is amazing grace. You know, this is amazing love. And we sing in these songs real soft and real because I don't want to make a lot of noise. But this guy, he didn't care what he sounded like. Why? Because when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Now, listen, religion will tell you, come on, if you're really holy for God, then shout and really be loud. And that's not what he, he, he didn't. Nobody told him to be loud. He was loud because he was so thankful. He was loud because if you won the lottery, you wouldn't be like, yay. (laughs) Woo. 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 (laughs) You would be loud. Not because you're acting religious. Come on, everybody shout to the Lord. Yeah, come on, let's shout. Let's sing. Let's praise. Come on, everybody needs to be louder. No, that's religion. That's just that's just hype. But if we would come on Sunday and between today and Sunday, focus and look at and see what God has done, we will return on Sunday with a loud voice glorifying God. And and look at what it says in verse 16. Look at what it says in verse 16. And with a loud voice, he glorified God and he fell down on his face at his feet. Giving him thanks. And he didn't he he, he didn't give thanks because that was what he learned to do. You know, give thanks. Everybody, we have dinner tonight. Let's give let's say grace. Let's give thanks. And then you then you say some little prayer and then you look down at the plate and you're like, that's all they gave. (laughs) They used to give bigger helpings at this restaurant. I'm never coming back here again. Where what happened to this is amazing. Grace? we we're looking at the wrong stuff, folks. We got to stop looking at what we don't have. Start looking at what we do have. And you are going to just worship God the rest of your life. You're going to just see we don't not. Here's my point. It's not okay. Let's worship God the rest of our lives as Christians. It's let's 
see what Jesus has done for us the rest of our lives. Let's stay focused on what he's done for us the rest of our lives. And it will make us thankful. It will cause us. Our worship will be, as I've told you for the last several years, our worship will be a reflex of what God has done for us, not a religion, a reflex. A reflex is something it just it just happens. It's just natural. It's just it's just what it boom. It's a reflex. You hit you hit a nerve and a reaction occurs because that's how it's designed. You're designed to worship God as you see what he's done for you. I mean, I could go on and on about other people, all these people that fell down at his feet. I I just I think if we just learn that the the Christian life is meant to be lived at the feet of Jesus, you know, it's not to be look, even though we're seated with him in heavenly places. Yes, he has raised us up with him. And so I know that I'm seated with him, but like I just want to jump out of my seat and just fall at his feet and just thank him. And I just I look at I look at this is maybe this will help you, but I don't live my life anymore trying to get points from God or 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 earn anything from God or be like I crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's. It's it's I realize even in my past and even in my life today now, it's my awareness of my humanity, my awareness of my mortality, my awareness of I'm aware of all that God's done for me. I'm aware of who I'm in Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm indestructible and all of that. You know, we're all superheroes in Christ. But an awareness of our flaws, our, our, our frailty, our how life is so it's so brief. And we're so flawed as people. And yet he loves us so and he doesn't look at our flaws. He's washed them away. And it's my awareness of my humanity and my mistakes along the way that makes me thankful that he didn't destroy me, judge me, condemn me, point his finger at me. He never points his finger. He just opens up his arms. And he says, return, 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 